0: Hello. You are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the US economics and trade editor for The Economist.
1: And I'm Chad Bound, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics.
0: It's here. The report is here. After some delays, it finally landed. Not too many redactions, pretty dense. And it, it gives a real insight into the way the Trump administration operates. And so here we are to give you our hot takes.
1: Obviously, we're talking about the ITC's report on the USMCA. Sorry for the acronyms, but we're going to need to use these two quite a lot. If by now you don't know what the USMCA is, then actually you have some catching up to do, my friend.
0: The ITC is the U.S. International Trade Commission, which is a quasi-independent government agency that has been told by Congress to evaluate the impact of the USMCA. They published their 379-page report on Thursday, April 18th, the same day as the Mueller report. We spent the weekend reading it, occasionally yelling things out like, Footnote 51! Just FYI, the footnotes are the best bit. The obvious headline of this report is that the USMCA will have a positive impact on the US economy overall.
1: In this episode, we're going to talk about how they got to that positive effect. Because underneath, there's a lot going on.
0: Before we dive into the economics of all of this, we should explain a little bit more about who the ITC is. Because it might seem a bit suspicious to some people that they came out with this positive number. There was a study recently from the IMF that came out with a negative number. So, so maybe these ITC folks are just political cronies trying to, trying to please the Trump administration.
1: I want to vouch for their quasi-independence here. There are six commissioners at the ITC, and though they're appointed by political people, there's supposed to be a balance between the Democrats and the Republicans. And the commissioners themselves, they do have to sign off in this report, though you can see in the footnotes, if you read closely, some of them have made snarky comments here or there. But the real analysis is actually done by a group of very well-trained economists at the ITC.
0: Their reputation's preserved. Let's step back and go through exactly what they have been doing here. So they take the baseline of NAFTA. They assume that that trade deal is in place. And then they ask the question, what is the USMCA going to do to GDP, to employment, wages, and to trade?
1: Now, trade deals usually give people options they didn't have before. And so in theory, they could switch to those options and be better off but they also expose other people to competition that they didn't face before. The main method the economists use to work out the overall effect on the economy is something called a computable general equilibrium model. This model has workers, consumers, and lots of different sectors in it, and they use this model to predict what everyone will do in response to a really big policy change. Here, the big policy change is the implementation of the USMCA, and so what it does is it looks at the direct effects of the deal But in addition to that, the model tries to capture the indirect effects as well. So some sectors might grow, but that might pull resources out of other parts of the economy that might end up shrinking.
0: I should add that the ITC used a few other different kinds of models in various different places of the report where they were more appropriate. But this CGE one is is the one that they used to tot up the, the really big picture macroeconomic effects I should also say that that some people don't really like this kind of model. It's quite difficult to see what exactly is going on in some cases because they're so complicated. The idea of everyone being a rational, optimizing agent is, is upsetting to some people.
1: What they're doing here is quite hard. And so in what we talk about, I'm going to quibble with some of the assumptions that they've made at various points in time. But that being said, you do need to make some assumptions to work out answers to these kinds of questions. And they have been tasked with answering these questions. They're not allowed to say, we don't know.
0: Okay, to the results. Now, they were never going to find that the USMCA had a massive transformative effect on the American economy. Tariffs between the US, Mexico, and Canada were already pretty much zero in in, in most sectors, There wasn't much extra traditional market access granted to to any of the three members. That said, they they do find this small overall positive effect of about 0.35% of GDP. And beneath that, they find some positive effects and some negative effects. So the, the gross impact is actually a bit bigger than that headline number suggests.
1: Let's start with the positive effects. The main one is driven by the idea that the USMCA is going to reduce uncertainty. The report wants us to believe that uncertainty is a trade barrier that's been holding back imports and exports.
0: These positive effects are very important in terms of driving the ITC's results. Without them, overall, the USMCA would have had a negative impact on the U.S. economy.
1: They're clearly important for this report. And there is also economic evidence that uncertainty, trade policy uncertainty, actually matters.
0: This was episode six with Nuno Lemao talking about his research with Kyle Handley.
1: The basic idea is that trade policy uncertainty is something that's, that's really bad. It means that companies are reluctant to invest to produce for foreign markets. These companies are worried that governments might enact some trade barriers that could potentially take those markets away. And so what trade deals do is they eliminate the risk of those types of policies. They get rid of that uncertainty. Ultimately, what the ITC is going to do in this type of a study is to examine the impact of the reduction of these trade barriers. Now, the mechanics of how they actually do this are are a little bit techie, so bear with me for a second as I try to explain. The easiest way to think about these trade barriers is to basically just imagine them as, as tariffs or taxes. Ultimately, what the ITC has to do is to estimate the size of these trade barriers. So, imagine if a government broke one of these commitments, what would be the equivalent tariff or tax that would impede trade by the same amount? And to do so, they use something called a, a gravity model. And this is a relatively standard thing that you use in international trade. They combine that with data on services trade. That bit's a little bit non standard. And in addition to that, they have information on services trade barriers. So they use a database that the OECD puts out called the Services Trade Restrictiveness Index.
0: They calculate these relative trade barriers. And then essentially, they assume that before the USMCA, people faced uncertainty about whether these trade barriers would pop up. And those policies include things like a government requiring that data be held locally or preventing any data from being transferred overseas. So the impact of the USMCA is, is basically equivalent to the impact of people feeling secure and safe, that, that that kind of trade barrier isn't going to pop up in
1: future. And the way they do this is they look at the impact for all of the services sectors for which the OECD has data and they try to assess how important these data policies would be for each one of those. But then they also try to extrapolate and work out just how important these sorts of policies would be for other sectors for which they don't have data. Now, obviously, data policies are going to be really important for a sector like cloud computing. That's pretty clear. But lots of sectors use data, even manufacturing and farmers. So what they try to do is to figure out how reliant on software each of those other sectors are, and then they use that variation to estimate how exposed each of those sectors would be if new data restriction limitations were actually to be imposed. So if you use information technology just a a little bit, then this uncertainty channel wouldn't be expected to matter all that much for you. But if you use IT a lot, then you're going to see quite a big impact of the USMCA.
0: This is obviously a key bit of the report. It drives the positive result, all of this uncertainty stuff. And, and it's not just data localization policies that are doing it, that are, that are reducing this uncertainty, but it's also provisions on services trade and, and also investment. It's also a really hard thing to do. Trading goods is pretty easy to measure and, and so are tariffs these qualitative barriers are much, much harder. And so you have to deal with all sorts of information that may not be coded in, in the most convenient way. You might want to isolate the impact of one specific provision, a line of a trade deal, but the information on, on who else applies that kind of policy, which you actually need to estimate any numbers associated with the policy, they might not be categorized in, in exactly the same way. There's the other issue, which is that tariffs are fairly specific to the good that they apply to. Bananas have a 2% tariff. You can estimate the impact of the tariff on the bananas. In this case, you can have these very generalized provisions that can affect a whole different bunch of sectors in a much fuzzier way. In theory, these restrictions on data can affect all sorts of different sectors. And that means that you just need much, much better data because, you know, ideally you'd estimate the individual impact of these policies on, say, trade in iron and steel or trade in coal. Given the data constraints, often that's that's very, very difficult. Gravity models are super standard. Everyone uses those. But this mapping thing that the ITC has to do to, to get all this information on services trade and services trade barriers and, and data and so on, that's not standard. There are a bunch of economic studies showing that uncertainty really matters. But in terms of measuring the magnitude of the impact of a trade deal like the USMCA, there really isn't very much precedent for all of this combining that the USITC is doing, apart from something they did try to do in the TPP report.
1: It is possible from the ITC report to see and understand the logic of what they did. But given that it's so non-standard, I might have liked to see a few more of the empirical steps that they took along the way to help them get there. If listeners are really interested, you, you can go and look at table H1 in the appendix and see which of the sectors the ITC found had these different levels of trade barriers, but you can't really see which parts of the mapping are driving what. So obviously, I would have liked to have seen a few more tables to explain this. Anyway, I should reemphasize that what they're trying to do here is really hard. I've spent a lot of my life trying to compile data on non-tariff barriers, and it's pretty tricky. And I should also say that they were conservative in their analysis. They assume that importers got about half the value of this lower uncertainty than the academic literature typically finds.
0: There's another slightly more obvious issue measured as it happens in footnote 51. The ITC did not include the impact of the CPTPP, which was the other trade deal that America had previously negotiated with Mexico and Canada and and a bunch of other countries. America had withdrawn and Mexico and Canada then went ahead with it anyway. That deal included quite a few of the provisions that were in the USMCA. So there's a question of, of whether the ITC is counting provisions in the USMCA as having an impact that actually already would have gone into effect as part of the CPTPP. They say in the report that the CPTPP wasn't in effect when the USMCA was signed, but it had been agreed, and and now it's in force.
1: Now, the one country that is not part of the CPTPP, of course, is the United States, So the United States is benefiting by not having its own data localization policies. But the channel there is the United States is agreeing to limit its own behavior through the USMCA.
0: The report does say that a non-trivial share of the benefits that come from this uncertainty comes because of the U.S. signing up.
1: The modeling of all this uncertainty is quite new for the ITC. Whatever you think about the way they did it here... It is different from the way that they've done it before in earlier reports on trade agreements. The USTR issued a statement saying the benefits of this deal, the USMCA, were more than twice as large as the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP. But if you really want to compare the TPP or even the first NAFTA agreement to this new deal, you can't just look at those earlier ITC reports because those don't really attempt to model this resolution of uncertainty. The TPP study does try to capture some of these issues of data and services barriers, but they do it in a different way. And arguably, the original NAFTA and the TPP resolved a lot more uncertainty than this particular deal. So I think to do this right, you'd have to go back and reestimate those earlier models to look at the total effects of actually including uncertainty and its resolution in those estimates as well.
0: You could argue that, in fact, the USMCA introduces some policy uncertainty. So putting aside the fact that the president has been threatening to withdraw from NAFTA because arguably that hasn't been written into any trade deal, just looking at the text of the USMCA, there is this clause that says that there will be a review every six years and perhaps 10 years after that, any one of the parties could withdraw from the deal that's not a clause that was in the original. And it's also one that the USITC chose not to model as casting lots of uncertainty over the whole deal. But it's striking, given how important this resolution of uncertainty is for driving the positive numbers, that this big negative kind of uncertainty wasn't included. And, and if uncertainty was that important, then imagine the kind of damage the Trump administration did by threatening to withdraw from NAFTA.
1: Okay, so that's the uncertainty part. Let's go on to the rest of the analysis of the deal.
0: The other big drivers of the effects were not so positive. And of course, they were the changes to the rules of origin for autos, a trade talks favorite. Chad hates rules of origin for autos.
1: So I'm going to put that off for a second. Before we get to that part of the ITC report... We should talk for a moment about a white paper that the U.S. Trade Representative's office put out on the same day that the ITC report was released. This was very unusual. It's
0: almost like they were trying to influence the tone of the media coverage of the report. That said, it was a nine-page white paper, and and it was based on essentially plans from all the car companies. So as as part of this whole exercise. It looks like the car companies submitted detailed plans for the next five years where they had to set out their plans for investment, how they were going to comply with this wonderful new deal, employment projections and so on. And, and the white paper essentially just added up the numbers. They also included a multiplier. So they assumed that for every new job in in autos manufacturing, there were two and a half more jobs generated elsewhere in the economy. They came up with a figure that the USMCA would lead to $34 billion of extra investment in America in the auto sector.
1: $34 billion is a pretty big number. But this USTR white paper was not really an economic analysis, and it wasn't based on any economic model. And what it also doesn't mention is that there have also been a number of announcements made by the car manufacturers of plants closing over the next couple of years. And as well, a lot of that investment that they're talking about, that's the kind of thing that would have happened anyway.
0: I kind of feel like, are you allowed to say it wasn't an economic analysis? They had a multiplier. They used data. It's not, you know, a representative sample, but they arguably went to the population of car producers, I mean, okay, the issue then is that these car companies may not have had an incentive to be truthful, right? I mean, presumably they they handed over these plans, but they're going to be sensitive to business conditions, that kind of thing.
1: Right. My concern is that there's just a lot of other things going on over the next five years that are also likely to impact investment decisions that aren't being reflected here. Obviously, there's a lot of unsettled environmental regulations that are going to affect where and how. Companies decide to invest for certain new models, the potential for clean energy vehicles, the potential for autonomous vehicles. And then the car companies also have upcoming negotiations with the United Auto Workers Union. And there's also a lot of investment decisions that are going to be made in response to that.
0: Okay. So – The world is complicated. USTR has asked these car companies, what are you going to invest? They've given them a number, but they were probably going to make a lot of investments anyway. And of course, all the unions are about to claim credit for all these new investments in a few months' time. And so, you know, there's there's triple credit being awarded for these investment decisions. Fine. The USITC had a slightly different take on the USMCA's rule changes for autos. They did find that these new rules would increase employment as they found that companies would reshore their supply chains to become compliant with the USMCA's new rules.
1: If anyone has forgotten, these new rules of origin requirements for the USMCA and the automobile sector are essentially that there has to be a lot more North American content for the production of cars and trucks than previously. More of that production has to take place with high wage labor so people earning 16 dollars per hour or more and a lot more use of north american steel aluminum and other types of parts all of these things are expected to increase the cost of producing an automobile in north america
0: the cost of complying with these rules has risen relative to the nafta in theory the car companies could ignore these new rules and and pay the tariffs instead But for some reason, even though it will be expensive for them to do it, and in some cases the alternative tariffs that they would pay are quite low, it does look like most of the the light vehicle producers are going to comply.
1: It does kind of look like the Trump administration has pretty much intimidated all these companies into saying they would comply. Obviously, that's a very hands-on approach to government. But if the alternative is that these companies are going to get hit with his national security tariffs on cars, or if the NAFTA agreement might be scrapped, then maybe this isn't such a bad option for them.
0: I don't think it's that the car companies have been intimidated into saying that they will comply. I think the Trump administration has essentially gotten what it wanted. I totally buy the idea that there will be more employment in the auto sector than there would have been under, say, a different president. But the report of the ITC explains the costs of that happening. The report repeatedly says that the new rules are very complicated and it and it quantifies the effect on consumer prices. It predicts that there will be a 1.6% increase in the cost of small cars and a 0.4% increase for pickup trucks. And With those price increases, there will be over 140,000 fewer cars consumed in the U.S.
1: It's also very likely that some of the cars that won't be compliant with these new rules of origin requirements just simply won't be offered in the North American market anymore. The ITC report predicts that there will be 28,000 new jobs in the automobile sector, but that's really the result of two offsetting effects. An extra 30,000 jobs in the auto parts sector but actually a decrease of 1,500 jobs in the assembly of final cars. And so if you assemble vehicles, this deal is actually bad news.
0: It's worth thinking about just who these potential winners are. If you have skills in making car parts, then this deal is, is potentially very good for you. But also, it's not going to affect everyone equally in terms of where they're living, The parts suppliers often will locate very close by to the the folks assembling the cars. There's this thing called just-in-time delivery. The car assemblers don't like to hold huge amounts of inventory. And so there's an advantage to be able to deliver the parts very quickly, which makes sense then for you to be close by. Big parts are also really heavy. It's a pain to transport them long distances. We know that over the past four decades or so, the, the pattern of car production has really changed. Production has actually risen in, in this geographical region called Auto Alley, which is sort of strip down the middle of America, and it, it fell elsewhere. So thinking about those who lost out over the past few decades from all these shuttered factories that the president is so upset about, they may not be the people winning from the USMCA reform.
1: This point about where this economic activity is actually going to be located in in geography, I think is really important. Now, unfortunately, the model that they use in this report doesn't actually analyze that issue. It doesn't say this part of the country is going to benefit, this part of the country is going to lose. That is something they could do the next time around. But they do look at some distributional impacts in this report. They find, for example, that workers in the manufacturing sector, largely driven by the automobile rules of origin, they're the ones that are going to enjoy the biggest gains coming out of this agreement, smaller gains in services and for farmers. And they also do examine distributional issues, who wins and who loses by education levels in the United States. So the ITC report is making progress by looking along these different dimensions, but there's still a ways to go and they could be doing a bit more.
0: Chad has volunteered to write the next ITC report single-handedly. Listeners will be pleased to hear Okay, I think we should end with a kind of quickfire round detailing some of the interesting things that we both picked out in the report. And this will largely be proof that we read the thing. So my first one is that the report considers changes to investor state dispute settlement. So essentially, the provisions that allowed American investors in Mexico to sue the Mexican government under this trade deal, they were weakened. And the report estimates the effects of that and finds that there could be up to a 5% reduction in the stock of foreign direct investment in the affected industries. That's a, that's a fairly sizable effect. It's probably an overestimate because it's based on what happens when you introduce a new bilateral investment treaty, and that includes lots of other stuff than, than was weakened in, in, in the USMCA.
1: My favorite one was to look at the impact of all these new labor provisions in the deal. In particular, the ability to improve Mexican workers' collective bargaining position. So strengthening the ability of Mexican workers to unionize.
0: This is something that USTR officials felt had not been covered enough in, in the focus on the USMCA. It's a, it's a really positive thing that this deal had cemented.
1: And obviously, this is a big point of contention as well for the American unions and potentially passage through Congress. What the ITC report did is to first estimate the wage premium for unionized workers in Mexico, and they found it to be about 17 percent. That's a lot. And then they look at the impact if this 17 percent wage increase were to spread more broadly across the Mexican economy. So they put this into the model, but increasing the wage premium actually seems to have very little, almost zero impact on the U.S. economy. So it doesn't really seem like it's actually going to make that big of a deal for the United States.
0: One of the fun footnote arguments that that happened in the report is that clearly one of the commissioners disagreed with the small effect that the model found. He thought that there would be much bigger effects potentially over the long run. So I guess we'll, we'll be watching.
1: And sorry, Canadian and and Mexican listeners and friends. It's a little bit odd, but there's actually no reported impacts of the USMCA on the Mexican or Canadian economy. So nothing there for your GDP or distributional impacts within your countries. Looks like you'll need to do your own studies to figure that out.
0: Yeah, I'm going to dispute the idea that it's odd. The US ITC has a kind of hint of of what it's doing in the name of it.
1: But Canada and Mexico are in the model. And so they could have added another appendix to just tell us all what's happening in these countries as well.
0: 379 pages wasn't enough for you? Okay. All right, anything else?
1: Yeah, the sugar.
0: Okay, give me the point about sugar. I would just like to point out to listeners that it is nearly 9 p.m. on Easter Sunday. (laughs) So tell me about the sugar, Chad.
1: One important impact that the ITC does report is that Canada is going to be able to export more sugar to the United States. The United States is opening up its tariff rate quota and allowing more sugar beets to come in from Canada. Now, this is a little bit ironic, of course, because Mexico is the country that would love to export tons and tons and tons more sugar to the United States, but it can't. Right now, it has a voluntary export restraint agreement. The United States has threatened to impose anti-dumping tariffs on Mexican sugar. And so Canada gets to export a little bit more, but nothing for Mexico.
0: Okay, final question. Does any of this matter? And I'm i am I'm sad to say that I, I think the answer is probably not. I'm not sure that these reports were going to convince anyone who needed convincing. Perhaps this positive number means that people who already wanted the deal to go ahead. We'll have something to argue with. Perhaps all those business people can use this, this number that is driven by the reduction of uncertainty to end the real uncertainty, which is, you know, whether the NAFTA will survive.
1: Yeah, the, the politics of this really does seem to be somewhere else at the moment. Congressional passage of the USMCA seems a little bit dicey. The administration needs votes from Congress people. To- especially in agricultural states to pass this thing. And as of now, those people are saying they won't vote for the USMCA until Canada and Mexico remove their retaliatory tariffs on US exports of agriculture. And Canada and Mexico are saying they're not gonna move their retaliatory tariffs until President Trump removes his tariffs on steel and aluminum.
0: Do you really like steel and aluminum more than autos and rules of origin?
1: I dislike them all equally at this stage.
0: Great. That is a great note to end this episode of Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Colin Warren, our audio guy.
1: Go back and listen to episode six with Nuno Lamau to learn more about policy uncertainty and and trade agreements, as well as episode 21 on the economic geography of the automobile industry in North America.
0: Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes.
1: And I'm at Chad Baum.
0: And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks.
1: That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to CGE studies of the USMCA, two is better than one. And sorry to all those great economists at the International Monetary Fund who did this other CGE study that unfortunately we didn't have time to talk about. But thank you that yours were so much shorter.
0: I didn't get, do you want them to do more? More analysis and have a longer report? It's just very difficult to please.